you've got CXOs that are grappling with profound change to the way in which they deliver work, workforce transformation, expectations around mobility, productivity through new tools and digitization of the workspace and all of the collaboration, but all of the risk that that brings. These big expectations on innovation. Hello and welcome to C-Suite Marketing. I'm Rob Levitt. Today's episode is a conversation with two of my new colleagues at Momentum. Adam Bennington is a consulting director based in London, and Tamsin Galloway is a consulting VP based here in the U.S. If you haven't heard the news, Momentum, a growth consultancy specializing in account-based strategies, has recently acquired ITSMA. So I'm really excited about beginning to work with Adam and Tamsin and the whole Momentum team. So this episode was a great opportunity to start comparing notes about C-suite marketing, ABM, and strategic growth and innovation more generally. Our conversation touched on a range of issues facing CXOs and executive engagement programs. We talked about the pace of change in the C-suite, the need for empathy and understanding, the rise of ESG issues and corporate purpose, how to break through the noise, and the growing importance of co-innovation, and how to think about long-term relationships and trust. C-suite marketing is sponsored by Boardroom Insiders, a business intelligence platform that makes executive engagement easier than ever. Learn more at boardroominsiders.com. Learn more about this podcast and all the work we do on executive engagement, ABM, and other B2B marketing issues at itsma.com. And please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Now for today's show. Adam, Tamsin, welcome to the podcast. So glad to have you with us today. Thanks for having me. Let's do quick uh, stage setting. Adam, let's start with you maybe. Tell us a little bit about your, your role in the work at Momentum. Yeah, hi. Uh, yeah, I'm a consulting director at our UK office in London. Um, my role at Momentum, um, I work with our UK clients to understand their growth challenges and uh, find out what's at the root of those challenges, whether it's uh, an audience understanding challenge or a value prop or comms challenge or any kind of organizational or operational challenge. It's usually a combination of all of those things. And uh, I, I work with them, their sales and marketing functions to find um, means and ways for ABM disciplines to solve these problems. And that's usually in the form of advisory consultancy or more often actual program design. But great, all of great. this ladders up into helping our clients, sales and marketing teams understand more about the places and moments where business growth can arise. Great, great. And Tamsin, welcome. Uh, tell us a little bit about your role. You're in the U.S. I am in the U.S. Um, I am the Vice President of Consulting for Americas. And my primary role is to make sure that our U.S.-based clients are really feeling like uh, we have a presence, we understand the U.S. market. It's really important for us to make sure that when we are working with our clients, uh, which are, are largely global, that we're approaching their relationships with their customers as a partnership. And so being able to take a step back, looking at where those relationships really need to cement 
and how they are aligning with their customers' customers' needs uh, is a big part of that. Let's continue on that, Fred, for a minute, Tamsin. Talk about the CXO relationship, the executive engagement part of the work. How central is that? How important is clients that you're working with? I think that's really important. I mean, the first thing that you have to do to make sure that you are taking into consideration all the things that impact an executive at the C-level and, and the commitments they've made and all of the stakeholders, let alone the shareholders that are paying close attention. When you take a look at some of the major initiatives that have come out of the last 18 months, but really happen every time you, you release your 10K, it's a matter of them understanding what the market needs and you understanding what it's going to take to remove the obstacles within their organization or even in the external world that can keep them from, from meeting those objectives. Yeah. And Adam, let me turn to you because, you know, as Tamsin said, I mean, CXOs are on the hot seat all the time, right? I mean, it's a very high pressure role, but the last year and a half seems to have pushed that to another whole level of intensity. And I'm curious, as you look across the clients that you're working with, what are you seeing in terms of CXOs generally and how they are now perceiving their roles? Yeah, I think, I mean, every enterprise has had to make their own pivot or reaction to what's happened over the last year, year and a half. And whether that's, you know, down to customer demand changing or customer behavior shifting or operating models that aren't sustainable in the same way, or, or even actually reacting directly to, you know, the bigger sort of macro political and economic events. I think all of the CXOs that are involved in this great transformation games sit on a spectrum I guess at one end of that, we're, we're seeing CXOs that have been forced kicking and screaming into making big, big decisions very quickly um, with some trauma associated to that. I don't think that necessarily makes it easy for our clients to, to, to address that. I think we're also seeing in the UK, particularly across public sector institutions, um, national health service, local mm. and central government. The standout here is that these, these are spaces where traditionally transformation and technology change has been very conservative, very slow moving, not a great track record leading tech change successfully. But I think when leadership there's had its back to the wall and it's had to find new ways to deliver and integrate previously siloed services, they're finding a way that they can do that. And whether that was a, a proof of concept or hacked there's a confidence and a spirit that we're seeing in that space that they can deliver tech change in critical areas. And now we're seeing that CIO base in particular mm. talk a lot more confidently, a lot more publicly about what they do next. Where, where do they go now in terms of wholesale change? I think for industry verticals, beyond the, the shock of it all, it's maybe not enlightenment as such, but certainly a realization that Obviously, the foundations are there. They've been building and developing for years, you know, cloud infrastructure, right. process transformation, workload evolution, you know, all of the migration of data and compute to hyperscalers. But I think now, it's certainly in, in industry verticals, the CXO focus is, is more on that back office transformation mm. to support that more resilient front end. They've been working around the edges, but now perhaps it's the time to accelerate that and do that more wholesale. and this recognition that all of that machinery, whether it's uh, core banking processes, key parts of ERP systems, that these need to become much more malleable, much sharper for, for business demands and pressures that are, well, that CXOs are now tracking as the norm rather than the, uh, 
the expectation. It's a big deal for them. Yeah, and I think, you know, Tamsin, the, the pace of change is, is a big question mark, right? I mean, last year, executives had no choice. Right. You know, you had to pivot quickly, you had to move quickly. And, and I think, you know, most business leaders, this was maybe a bigger disruption than folks had been involved with. But, you know, it's not the first one. And I think most business leaders understand that the faster you can go from reaction to, you know, new strategy, the better, the more whole you're going to come out. One of the big questions now is, can we keep up that pace of decision-making, of planning, of change, right? You know, we had to do it last year. Can we keep up that pace? Is What are you seeing in the C-suite with that? For one thing, the backdrop has always been there. Most CIOs have come to a level of importance at having a seat at the table in board meetings and beyond, where in the past, they really were more in a position of having to react to decisions that were made at the CXO level. Now they probably, most of them have been saying for, for some time, we need more security. We need to be prepared for, for every disaster of every type. We need to make sure that all of our people are, no matter where they're working, have the right systems in place to support the work we need to do. So really there's been a lot of planning that came to fruition, the need came to fruition last year. So I think in one sense, there's an advantage to, to people in that particular role, having some planning already in place that hadn't been activated. That's a really positive thing. As people start to, as business has become a little bit more humanized over the past year and a half, where we've seen executives with their two-year-old crawling over them like a jungle gym in the middle of a thousands and thousands of people podcast, we've seen these things happen and it's really brought a level of sharing at the executive level as well as every other level. So I think as we are all learning from each other and as CXOs are paying close attention to um, how other CXOs are solving problems, that decision-making becomes more fluid and more strategic and it's rolling out. You know, there's a couple of threads I'd love to pick up here, the, the empathy, the humanizing of the relationship. Um, but maybe before we do that, I want to stay at the bigger level. And, and Adam, I know you do a huge amount of research and just trying to understand what are the issues that matter. And, and that agenda, I think, has expanded quite dramatically over the last couple of years in the C-suite as we've gotten to more social issues, environmental issues, political issues, uh, you know, broader purpose kinds of questions. And, and how are you tackling that as you work with clients to try and build their business in this newer environment? I think we, we are seeing ESG initiatives becoming increasingly important for, for, for every CXO. That's an obvious shift. And I think there's, there's an obvious shift from saying the right things about ESG to obviously sort of building every aspect of your service and your product and ops line to, to meet some level of ESG compliance or the ESG standard. Obviously, that's going to mean different things to different verticals and, and enterprises and different geographies. But I think what it is, is, is another epic transformation story. Um, and arguably, it's bigger than any other, incredibly so. It's simply because this is a, a macro topic that is 
well, that everything is downstream of. Everything is downstream of the environment. Everything involves or touches people in society, humans, customers, employees. Yeah. This puts new focus on identity, on their values, on their social behaviors. And the, the governance angle of this, getting the, the policy and the provisioning in place, whether that's your own or uh, you know, ex external regulation that you need to meet, these standards and your own cultures, all of this has to be upheld for you know, existentially important reasons. And, and, and to meet these expectations that are coming from a place of tension is, is a huge challenge for CXOs and, and, and is something that is going to be inescapable when we, when, when we look at how ABM can address it. And I, I think that the, the challenge is, it's big, but it's no different from any other perceptional value-based challenge that CXOs are facing. I think they should treat it the same way. And this is about framing a story in the right way that's clear, authentic, shows a demonstrable change in enterprise planning and operations, and the key is to make sure that that story is told, applied and referenced at the moments of, that matter to CXOs, their customers and shareholders. I think the nature of ABM and building archetypes and being able to flex those and scale those into accounts and account life cycles and all the discrete moments in customer journeys, it, it lends itself to this sort of comms challenge. And, and mm. it's one of those interesting moments where you kind of realize that ABM actually can go beyond just the marketing function and the communication function. Right. Actually, the insight behind it can, can start to actually shape and inform what this ESG transformation strategy could be for a lot of these enterprises. So a very interesting space for us to be in um, and one that we're going to need to get used to. No, I love that. And Tamsin, let's stay on this thread. So we're talking about some of these broad trends that, as Adam said, affect particular industries, companies, individual executives very differently. You know, they're all dealing with the big issues, but how they do that can be quite different. And, you know, the hallmark of account-based marketing is, is outside in, it's understanding clients deeply and their issues and their customers, as you said before, Tamsin. So, how do you approach this? How does momentum work on this? How do we get under the covers and, and really understand the particular ways in which our clients are responding and, and trying to get out ahead of some of these concerns? In common situations right now, we're seeing that there's a, a major focus on strategic partnership. So not only are our clients who are focused on the relationship at the, at the account level focused on how, how do we look at this differently and how can we become a better partner, their CXOs are looking at the same thing. And yeah. so a lot of that time when they walk away from the table, being able to tell publicly that they have a strategic relationship, there's a lot of things that go into that. And so from a consulting perspective, what we need to do is understand, you know, what were the factors that brought these, these companies together? What are the obstacles of going to market together or, or leaning into a really strategic partnership, especially when you have other partners. So there's a lot of artful consideration there. And then when we take a closer look at, now that they've announced this, how do we bring it to life? The factors that are involved, sometimes you have a CEO who has, it, maybe it's a new CEO to a global company and they have an initiative that's really bold, but also really right on. So how do we convince their organization and all of their different global business units that this is the right thing to do? How do we approach something that's bold with naysayers that can make that initiative slow down or can even hinder the progress completely? 
how do we bring those people into the fold of um, why this is important for the business, why it's important for the business's customers, and what it can really do when you partner with another global giant who provides the technology that will enable them to not only continue to be successful and grow, but also to really understand their regional clients' needs and their regional business units needs to make this successful. So it's really important to get really clear on how it affects different people. And then we come together, we bring together a plan that says, based on what we've learned in Latin America, based on what we've learned in this particular business unit and all of the people that fit the same type of profile across those business units, here's how we, here's the story we need to tell to make sure that they can embrace this instead of push against it. I mean, in a way you're talking about change management and, and how can we help support that, accelerate that, refine that. Adam, I'm wondering, it's, it's partners upon partners in a way, right? So, so much of marketing is just getting in the door, but this is all about how do we grow together? How do we work with our clients as partners to deliver the change they need and the change their customers and, and clients need, right? It's, it's an ongoing story. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Let me maybe back up, though, for a minute, because, you know, we're smart people, but there are a lot of smart people out there. And so we know these are important issues. We know these are important approaches to take, but so do a lot of other consultants and agencies. And, you know, and so one of the toughest challenges that marketers face with executive engagement, with getting into the C-suite is just breaking through the noise because, the CXOs that we're trying to work with are inundated. Every day they're getting invitations, they're getting thought leadership content, they're getting gifts in the mail, uh, you know, from our competitors too. So how do we even break through the noise to say, we really do understand you and we really can help you? How do we get in the door, Adam? Yeah, um, well, I think no noise is the right word. Everyone's talking about the CXO layer, and it's. I think every program that I sort of interface with has an element of how do we get a message in front of you know a CXO. I think we've got to appeal to their growing diversity as a group and a cadre. They're a very broad church. These are different people. These are extremes of personas. These are leaders and they haven't got there by accident. So obviously do your research on them. Do your research on their strategy. Do your research on their core business challenges. Frame in your mind what they see as the implication for IT. And I think we as an industry need to go way beyond their demographics, try and put ourselves in, in their shoes, their world, their environment. These are people with quite often a public persona. They may also be more private personalities, extrovert, opaque, enigmatic. We, I think we all know them. There is that footprint and there are insights there that will point to the psychographic and ethnographic tropes that make up their characteristics and their, their leanings. So I, I don't think there's any shortage of things that we can go and reference. The things that I'm interested in particularly is tenure, and where they come from, are they new in role? Are they entrenched, perhaps a bit institutionalized? But on the flip side, if they've landed in new and they've come from a new industry or somewhere that's maybe even a little left field, then that's going to almost certainly point to the, the motion that they're going to want to take when they land in role. 
they may well wear their allegiances and their, their, their politics on their sleeve quite publicly, whether that's right, their doctrine right. or philosophies. But I think the, the, the one thing that's interesting is, is where they started. Look at their path you know, to this layer. How did they start professionally? Did they come via a tech background, a, you know, a biz dev background, an ops background? I just read just a few days ago that perhaps the most enigmatic CEO on planet Earth, Elon Musk, is now complaining and lamenting about his CEO responsibilities. And that actually comes from the fact that he's an engineer at heart. He wants to be engaged on these sorts of things. And if you could engage Elon Musk on a good engineering topic, then you may well very quickly be able to segue into uh, something more, more CEO-like. It's funny. I think about this all the time. It's, it's simple but hard, right? It, it's as simple as do your homework. But it's also as hard as that, you know, a friend of mine who runs a CXO program says, no, really do your homework, really understand the people that you're trying to work with and reach. And people just want to skip over that. They want to take shortcuts. They want to do broad demographic personas, to your point, Adam, and not really understand. And, and part of what's hard about that is when you really do your homework and you really understand the people as individuals and where they come from and what they care about and what's their priority right now and all of that, you have to act on it. And that may not be so easy. You know, your broad brush message that you've just done based on your product isn't going to be relevant. And now you have to do something different. And, and so, again, I think it's simple but hard because, you know, we are in a very public world now. A lot of the data is there to be had if you put the time into it, if you put the energy into it. But then you do have to act on it. Just, just further to that as well. I mean, you know, if, if, if we are able to get through to a CXO and, 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 and land a message, even better land a bit of communication, they're not going to sit on that in isolation. It's not going to sort of exist in a bubble. This is something that is going to be circulated in a conversation around whoever the CXO holds as their counsel. And that could be counsel internally in the enterprise. It could be minus ones. It could be minus twos. And I think for me, it's... Looking at the bottom-up route as well and trying to surround these individuals is absolutely critical, in my mm -hmm. opinion. What are going to be the dynamics of the conversation that the CXO is going to have about you know, the topic that's important to us and who, who is he or she having that conversation with internally? And it's those individuals that I think are equally important to understand and engage, not just because they have the ear of the ultimate decision-maker, but their, their capacity to influence um, yeah. their, their role in decision making entirely, and 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 it's it's the, these folks. I think that these are the guys that are that that are leading innovation and that are leading a culture of doing things differently or embracing what new technology philosophies can bring to enterprise. So these perhaps are the folks that are on the rise, and you know may, maybe if we're lucky when we're investigating a minus one or a minus two, we might be uh, inadvertently doing research on the next CIO for the next wave. So I think let's look at who orbits these individuals and, uh, and, and not lose sight of that. It's a great point. And, and, and certainly in the ABM work that we do, we always talk about mapping the influence networks, right? And that's inside the company as well as outside the company. Who are the advisors? Who do people listen to? And it's one of the reasons I want to maybe segue a little bit here. Um, the intersection of ABM and executive engagement is such a powerful one 
because one of the challenges we often see with companies trying to build executive engagement programs is prioritizing which executives they want to reach. And so if you have an ABM program in place, you've already prioritized the accounts. I don't know if you guys are running into that issue of we want to build executive engagement. We want to do CXO marketing and, you know, we've got 10,000 accounts and we want to reach CIOs. Well, that's not easy unless you start to segment and prioritize. Uh, you know, Tamsin, are you running into that? We do run into that sometimes. And I think, again, when you talk about the evolution of the CIO role, that person is now seen as a strategist and in some cases, a bit of a futurist when it, when it comes to what that organization is going to need. And as marketers, being able to approach that individual or that persona as someone who, who is no longer the IT leader of the past, but is actually someone who steers the infrastructure for growth for the future of their company, it's an easier conversation to have, really from a marketing perspective than it would be to try to come in and, and you know, demonstrate your, your IT acumen. It's a lot easier to understand what, what a business really needs and how you can help that person do it. I think when you really, to, to your Adam's point, when you do the real homework, it's not just the data, it's how you perceive that data, how you translate that into your strategy. And you know, data points are wonderful, but you really need to understand if this is the CIO, what is somebody in a similar uh, role doing? How did they innovate to address the workplace issues that became very critical last year? And what are the obstacles you can take out of their way as an organization? So if even like if you don't focus on the product, but you focus on what you can do to, to make their initiatives come to life, I think that that's a much better um, approach. And I think a lot of people are still learning how to do that. And it is a whole company approach. We were talking about this a couple of minutes ago. Marketing can help orchestrate this, do the research, develop the insight, help create some of the themes and stories that we want to talk about. But if we really are going to partner at that strategic level, then this involves not just the marketing folks and not right. even just the sales folks, right? It's a, it's a whole company approach. Yeah, and I think that one of the values that we bring is that um, sales doesn't have the time. Their job is to make sure that they continue to, to grow the revenue and the opportunities for their company. So you can't look at them and say, well, they should know all of this stuff because they don't have time to go learn all of it, translate it, and put it into action. So I think that that's where we come in as a very empathetic and powerful engine to create actionable strategy that they can go out and then use. Yeah. Another one of the cliches that marketers use all the time is becoming the trusted advisor. That is not easy. And, you know, at ITSMA, we've literally asked CXOs, what does it take to build trust? And how many trusted advisors do you actually have? <laughs> the median answer we got the last time we asked that question was three. <laughs> so, that sounds about right. <laughs> right? So if you are a tech provider, um, you know, there may be one spot for a tech provider. There's going to be a big consulting firm. There might be a systems integrator. There might be a tech solutions provider, right? So that is a big, big commitment on the provider side to say, no, no, we really do want to be a, a trusted advisor. It's not just the cliche. We're not just saying it. We're not going to do that with thousands of customers, 
Um, right. Tamsin, I know you work on this in a very real way. <laughs> what does it take? What, 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 is, you know, what does turning that cliche into practical action actually look like? Well, I think that's the thing. Everybody wants to be that person and they want to do it tomorrow. But, you know, it, it's just like anything else. You don't, you don't date and get married on the same day, right? It takes time to build a relationship. It takes time to demonstrate consistency. It takes time to deliver incremental insights that continue to align with their vision and give them something new they don't know because they haven't put two and two together yet because they've got their focus on so many other things. Right. And I think that to your point, you know, there's an ecosystem there. If you can gain trust within their, their trusted ecosystem, whether that's internally to their company or maybe with partners they're working with already, you know, that shortens your cycle as well. But I think without focusing on what they need and only focusing on what your product does, your company does, what your track record is, you can't develop that kind of relationship. These are people. These are people who, who know that everything is at stake if they choose the wrong people to partner with. So you really have to be mindful of what are those stakes? What do they have on the table to win or lose? And why would my product matter? It, it's not about the product. It's about what it will do for them to achieve their goals. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely right. We've got to play into, not play in, but the, acknowledge the, the intrinsic anxiety and nervousness around making these big, big strategic decisions. The, the, the pace of change and the, the implications associated with making the wrong decision or not quite the right decision just opens up a massive risk for, for any CXO, whether that's security risk, business, technical, data. Uh, we had um, on, a, on a recent podcast, I think this was one you were on, Tamsin, Claire Darling from Skybox, mm -hmm. um, who mentioned, I think it was, and I'll stand corrected on this, 18,000 new vulnerabilities and threat vectors they were tracking in that the last year alone. It's a phenomenal number. And that's just one, that's just right. one, one part of it. You've got CXOs that are grappling with profound change to the way in which they deliver work workforce transformation, expectations around mobility, productivity through new tools and digitization of the workspace and all of the collaboration, but all of the risk that that brings. These big expectations on innovation and as hackneyed a term as innovation is, but tr trying to find ways that to drive innovation that's pragmatic and mm -hmm. evolutionary, but it's gonna make enough of a difference in the right way because there's enormous investment that's already been made in cloud infrastructure and public pronouncements. I was reading, um, talking to a colleague um, just a few days ago about Deutsche Bank and a $13 billion commitment to Google Cloud. They are making decisions that they have to stand behind and will have to stand behind for years and potentially decades. And the, With the, a global the, audience. <laughs> uh, totally. And exactly. The, 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 Very transparent. Right. And I think this is such a critical point. The stakes and the risks are great. You know, if they weren't, you wouldn't be in the C-suite, right? So, you know, the executives we're trying to work with wouldn't be worried about it if it wasn't a high stakes, high risk decision. And we wouldn't have any reason to talk to them if we weren't able to help at that level. Uh, and I, I think, again, it's another one of these simple but hard 
things that others maybe sometimes skate over a little bit too quickly when you talk about executive engagement or being the trusted advisor. Right. Stakes are high. I think you have to look at what you bring to the table as a part of their overall solution. You are not the solution. Your product isn't. What it can do for them is. And I think one of the other things that they don't see very often is the approach of saying, we understand that the ecosystem is large. We're here to partner with you where you need us, as opposed to trying to solve all things that are outside your scope. Do the one thing really, really well, and you'll be part of their success and part of their trusted circle. No, I, I think it is, there is a mindset shift that a lot of us maybe need to go through, which is no matter how big a company we are, we can be IBM, we can be Accenture, we can be Microsoft, we don't have the full solution. Right. Nor do our clients expect us to have the full solution. (laughs) True. Nor do they even expect us to have all the answers, right? I think it's why this whole collaborative innovation focus has really come to the fore. You know, they want us to have experience. They want us to have perspective. They want us to have the right questions. They want us to have capabilities that contribute. Um, You know, but there's a little humility in there that we've got a lot to offer, but not everything. And we don't even have all the answers. We're going to figure this out together. We can really help with that. I think that's okay as well. I think I think b- being open enough to say we will give you something as part of our, our our program or campaign into you, we'll give you something broader than that. We'll commit ourselves to giving that sustained kind of counsel, that nutrition that they need, whether it's through I don't know sort of open ideation sessions or giving them peer access and bringing them into to conversations that you know that vendors are having with other CXOs that are grappling with the same sorts of challenge and just being able to create almost a safe harbor for that sort of that that sort of conversation and that sort of engagement I, I think that is far more important than necessarily trying a little over earnestly to grease the path to to sale and and to do it over time and I think, Tamson, you were making that point earlier. This is not a one and done. This is not a transactional <laughs> approach, right? Oh, we're going to do an innovation workshop and then we're good. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Tamson, tell me, you, were, you and I were talking the other day about a specific client example that uh, was a really an interesting collaboration uh, over right. time. I wonder if you can describe that a little bit. I can describe it. Uh, we won't necessarily disclose it. Of but, course. But, um, you know, one of my most important clients is a global company based in the U.S. And that's a technology company that we all know and, and use pretty much on a daily basis around the world. They have created a partnership with another global company that really relies upon their technology and is aspiring to make a major change to a cloud-based, you know, environment around the world in each one of their business units, each one of, of their regions, which all have very different perspectives on cloud. And, and especially when you get into uh, sensitive data, people that have been in that role, maybe for the past 20 years or so in a business unit leadership role are still afraid of cloud. So I think, um, you know, what our approach is uh, with that company is to, we're rolling out a transformation story. 
for them. And that transformation story, it really was brought in from the top so that the agreement was there, but then they really didn't know how are we going to actually roll this out? How will we make this happen? And so our approach to that is um, to fully understand the impact of the commitment by, by this new CEO who, who will, her organization will make a massive impact on the future of her industry. So how do we do that? And, and how do we create um, a long lasting campaign that, that sees it through the entire digital transformation? That is not an overnight journey. This is something where when you're trying to gain trust and you're trying to um, trying to gain adoption within your own company to make it happen, you need to rely upon the success of different milestones. Sometimes that's an internal case study that you can share with, with your peers within a global organization. Sometimes it's um, a significant milestone that the industry can focus on because that's what they want to pattern after. And each one of those milestones builds upon the next. And so it, it's almost a discovery path of new things to believe in, right, as you go, and new things to, to um, be the, the, at the forefront of for their company to demonstrate to, to their customers, this is what we're doing to make sure that we can provide you the best experience possible. We are batting down the hatches. We're taking a new security strategy. We are making sure that you feel like we understand your region and what the needs are that are unique to your region, not just it's coming from the global headquarters, and therefore, it fits everybody. So this is to help the CEO of your client's client manage and deliver this massive transformation. It's a largely internal campaign. That, that will be very publicly. That will be very public. <laughs> because the company, well, right, because the company is a world yeah. leader. And, and my client and both was are. very clear right. to say, this is not about us selling into all of these places. This is an effort to bring all of her people together to make sure that they are behind her and her initiative. And yes, we do benefit. Of course we do, because when we roll this out and they adopt it, of course we will bring a larger footprint into that account, but we can't do that without establishing the trust and belief in, in the transformation itself. Right, it's, it's such a different way than traditional B2B marketing. Right. <laughs> right. It requires a lot of patience. <laughs> a lot of patience, but just to, and again, a different orientation to what are, what is it that we're trying to accomplish here? Right. right. Definitely. Right. We're helping our client help its client transform their business. We're doing it together over time. There's inside, there's outside. One right. of the things that we hear the most regularly is, um, you know, I did a poll of, of um, several CXOs a month or so ago to make sure that I was sharing with the team what is important to them. And what I got back from them was we need to feel like you're an extension of us. We need to feel like you are part of our team that is doing things that we don't have the resources to do and that we don't have the thinking on our team to do. And so I think that that's a pretty special role to earn. No, that's great. All right, we're down to our last minute here. Adam, let me ask you just a final question. What else, what didn't we cover? What else should we be thinking about as we try to build or strengthen our executive engagement initiatives or strategies? I think just to recognize the, the, the shift and the changing nature of the CXO relationship to IT, I think we need to recognize that the growing CXO savviness around what IT can, can enable. That's not to say that there's, there's not more work to be done to bring that to life. 
but I think uh, to try and do more to show the understanding of the business accountability that's tied into into any CXO role and how a better and more involved relationship with IT will empower them as execs in their own right, but also functional leaders that can show and prove real value cross-functionally and enterprise-wide. Right. Okay. Tamsin, you get the last word here. Any final thoughts or bits of advice for our audience? Absolutely. I think one of the things that we that we wind up doing because we love our customers, we want to make sure that they have what they need right then, is we're not stuck having them take a step back and say, is this piece, is this project going to yield the ROI you need it to? Or should we look at this a little differently and make this something that's more programmatic so that you can count on something consistent? One of the pieces of feedback I just got from, from um, one of my most important customers was, we spent this money with you in the past, but my people are like choosing this thing or the other thing and there's nothing tying them together. And so I think when you look at it from, a campaign is not a one and done if it's successful. A campaign can be programmatic enough to constantly build the story and the trust along the way. Sales cycles are not short. So when we talk about our our sales organization counterparts, they're looking sometimes at a two-year sales cycle. You need a story that will follow and refresh throughout that sales cycle. I was netting it out, I would say, think bigger, help your clients think a little bigger too. Tams and Adam, thank you so much. A great conversation. Lots for people to think about, to chew on uh, as we go forward. And I'm certainly looking forward to to working together with you guys as uh, part of the new Momentum ITSMA uh, combination here. So thank you. We're delighted to be working with you. Thank you very much, Rob. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening and let us know what you think and any suggestions you might have about other guests or topics for future podcast conversations. Check out other episodes of C-Suite Marketing on ITSMA.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And definitely take a look at We Are Momentum and learn more about our, our new combination with Momentum. And thanks again to our sponsors, Boardroom Insiders. Have a great day. Thank you.